Well, happy Easter. Happy Easter, everybody. For those online, same to you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's so great to have you with us as well. And I am ready for the Word of God today. Now, I'll tell you what, um, already this has been such a beautiful weekend. Such a beautiful weekend. I, um, I woke up on Friday morning, which of course was Good Friday, which symbolizes the day that Jesus went to the cross, that he died for our sins. And um, man, when I woke up Friday morning, I, uh, I, I immediately just felt it. I immediately felt the, the emotions and the significance of that day. And uh, I couldn't seem to move on that morning. And so I typed up an email to the church. And just as I was typing the words, tears were just streaming down my face um, just such a beautiful weekend that we get to partake of. And then um, for those that may not be aware, Friday night, we got to baptize 14 people. Yeah. We, we took it outside for the first time, and we got to baptize them in our parking lot. And it was such a cool way for them to profess their faith in Jesus Christ out in the open air as people are driving by. This is who I am. I'm a child of God. And it was so cool to get to celebrate with them and, and so excited for their futures. I'm so excited for what God's going to do in and through all of them. And so uh, last night, as I mentioned, we had our Saturday night service. It was awesome. And we're ready to hit the finale today. And so with that being said, let's get into the word today. Today we are going to be spending our time in the book of Luke. Now, uh, the book of Luke is one of what we call the four gospels, which are simply four different books that tell about the life, the work, the ministry of Christ from different angles and different perspectives. But the book of Luke, I think, brings some really cool details to the table that I want to make us aware of today, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But before we go any further, I want to hit you guys with our title today, because I want you to be aware of what road we are heading down from the very beginning. So the topic that we're going to be talking about, our title today is simply this, The Great Exchange. The Great Exchange. Easter 2021, this is what I want to lay before you. The Great Exchange and what exactly that means for you and I, okay? Now, I want to play a little bit of catch-up here so that we can make sure we're entering into today's message with the right perspective. And so, real quick, last week, we celebrated what is called Palm Sunday, now, if you're not familiar with what that is, this was an event that happened during the life of Jesus. In fact, it happened five days before he was crucified. And as he was entering into the city of Jerusalem, the people laid out their coats and they laid out palm branches signifying that the king was entering into the city. This beautiful, amazing scene that we get to read about and, and picture in our heads, but also a pretty amazing juxtaposition to what many of those same people would do just five days later to that same man. Now, after Palm Sunday, the week that would follow for Jesus was, was quite interesting. In fact, if you go to the book of Luke, that one week of Jesus's life spans about four chapters 
of that book. So this was obviously a significant week. And in that week, he got to, to spend some really good time with his friends and his family. He got to get some quality time in before he was going to leave them. Um, he also continued his work both inside and outside the temple. It's pretty cool to think that He knew what was going to happen days later, and yet he was going to continue to work. He was going to continue to move. That's just who he is. But it was a week of of wisdom to his disciples, a week of prophecy. It was a week of preparation, all culminating with one final meal with his disciples to celebrate the Passover. Interestingly enough, the Passover, ultimately something that within 24 hours he would fulfill himself. Now, after that final meal with his disciples is really when we begin to see the story of Jesus begin to escalate. This is really when we head full steam forward into the events of his trial and his eventual crucifixion. And in the book of Luke, where we're going to be spending our time today, these events begin to unfold in chapter 23. So this is where we're going to spend our time today, is in this one chapter. So if you want to follow along with me, you can certainly do that. But I want to see what we can take from the details of what this event ultimately meant. For us. Now, the first thing that I want you to understand, and I think this will be helpful for you, especially as we unpack this particular gospel, is that this account was written, as I mentioned, by a man named Luke, who by occupation was a physician. Okay, he, he was a doctor, and so by nature, he was a very detail-oriented man. All right, he was very logical, very, very literal, and in fact, if you read through his gospel compared to the others, you will see this pretty clearly. Just the way that he would explain things, the explicit details that he would give, you can see he was very detailed, very literal in his communication method. And so, as we roll into the events that we're about to go through today, we see that there's clearly one thing that Luke is trying to bring to the forefront before we even get into the trial, the verdict, and the crucifixion of Christ. And that one thing is simply this, that Jesus was innocent. There was no way that Luke, as detail-oriented as he was, was going to unpack the brutal death and the brutal crucifixion of Christ without first showing us that this was indeed an innocent Man, this is an important detail that we need to be aware of. In fact, before we get into the full context of chapter 23, let me show you just how many times Luke brings this to the forefront for us in chapter 23. Let's go through some of these examples, starting in verse 4. This is what we read. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. He is innocent. We fast forward to verse 14. It says, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. Verse 15, no, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. He's innocent. Verse 22, and he said to them the third time, why, what evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. We fast forward all the way to verse 41. This is now a completely different scene But the theme continues. And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He's innocent. And then in verse 47, now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. 
over and over and over again. In this one chapter of his writing, Luke continues to draw us back to the fact that Jesus was innocent. There could be no doubt about it. From Pilate, from Herod, the thief on the cross, the centurion. Listen, people that aren't even followers of Christ are freely declaring he's done nothing wrong. He's, he's blameless. And yet there's, there's something that happens in the midst of all of this that I want to talk to you about today that I think best portrays his true innocence, that I think best symbolizes the ultimate sacrifice that he made for us. And so now, before we dig into that, I want to give you a couple of pieces of information so that we make sure we understand everything that we're going to get into today. I think this will be helpful for you guys. And so let's give a little bit of context. And the first thing that you need to be aware of is that back in this time of history, we see something really interesting about this time, and that is that there was an annual tradition that the people would partake in where they would provide a customary pardon to one prisoner every year during the time of Passover. So Passover comes along, they pick one prisoner, they allowed them to walk away freely. Now the reason they did this is because the Passover represented the Jewish people being freed from bondage, right? That's what it was all about. And so they felt like in order to symbolize that, this would be a great way to represent their past. Now, at this time in history, we know that the Roman Empire is nearly at its peak, Okay, they are the most dominant rulers in the world. And so at this time, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, would be responsible for making this decision. Okay? He would be the one to decide, this is the person who's going to receive the pardon. This is who I want to represent this ancient tradition. Now, as we stumble upon chapter 23, we see an interesting scene beginning to stir because already we've seen that Jesus has been through quite an ordeal. Over the course of that evening, he was arrested just outside the Garden of Gethsemane. He was taken to the high priest for judgment where he would be mocked and he would be condemned by the people. Upon sunrise, he was taken to the religious supreme court where he would eventually be deemed guilty and then finally taken to the Roman decision makers for one final verdict on his life. These were the events that led up to what we're about to read in chapter 23, starting in verse 1. And this is where we pick up. Then the whole body of them got up and they brought him before Pilate and they began to accuse him saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So Pilate asked him saying, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, it is as you say. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they kept on insisting, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. And when Pilate heard that, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was in Jerusalem at that time. Now, after Herod meets with Jesus, we pick back up in verse 13. We continue on. It says, Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. This is clear. Now, this is when that customary pardon now comes into play. 
verse 17. Now he, the governor, was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. But they cried out all together, saying, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas. Now he was one who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again, but they kept on calling out, saying, Crucify, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and I will release him. But they were insistent with loud voices asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail. Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted. And he released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus to their will. Now, in the middle of this story about Jesus, in fact, just before he would be taken to the cross, what we look at as the pinnacle of our salvation were interrupted by this man named Barabbas. Now, honestly, we don't know all that much about Barabbas. We really don't. In fact, this is really the only time that his name is even brought up in Scripture. But this much we do know about him, and that is, unlike Jesus, he was a guilty man. In fact, the gospel writers spell it out for us very clearly. He's guilty of leading an uprising against the government, and as part of that, he's also guilty of murder. Now listen, these offenses would make him not only guilty by Roman verdict, but also guilty by Jewish law, which means these charges were punishable by death. So listen, when we come to meet this man Barabbas, he is a guilty man who is actively sitting on death row. This is the position he finds himself in. Now, we find something interesting as we read throughout the rest of the Gospels, and that is that this man, Barabbas, was actually brought up as an alternative to Christ by Pilate himself. In other words, Pilate, the Roman governor, he wants to see Jesus released. He wants to let him go. So he comes up with this strategy. He's going to give them something that they can't possibly refuse, right? I'm going to give them this filthy, guilty man. And so certainly they're going to pick Jesus to be freed over him. I mean, on one hand, you've got this notorious criminal, this leader of an uprising, a murderer. And on the other hand, you have a man who has now been deemed innocent by every major decision maker within the Roman government. I mean, it could not be more clear. The, the decision is easy. Jesus is freed. Barabbas remains in bondage and taken to his eventual death. It's the only thing that makes sense. It's, it's the only right judgment that could be had. Barabbas was guilty. Jesus was innocent. This is simple. And yet, as we just read, when the ultimate verdict is passed down, it's the opposite. Somehow, some way, Barabbas is the one walking away freely as Jesus is sentenced to death by the people. Now listen to me. This is one of the things that I read in the Bible and just kind of shake my head at. Like this, this doesn't make any sense to me. This isn't adding up at all. I mean, we're, we're talking about Jesus. Like, I've read the Gospels. We're talking about somebody who has healed the deaf and the blind and, and the sick. He's raised people to life. He's taught about loving God and loving others. He's pure goodness. And you're telling me this slimy criminal, I mean, this monster of a man is going to walk away scot-free as Jesus suffers? Like, what is going on? It doesn't make any sense to me. I, I don't get it. In fact, I was thinking about it this week. I, I, I think of myself as a pretty forgiving person. Like, I think I have a, a decent perspective on that. I'm not quick to look down on anybody. I'm not quick to judge anybody. Who am I? I feel like I have a good mindset there. 
And yet, if I'm being transparent, I can't help but get a little bit angry as I read this. Like, like something rises up within me because it's just not right. It doesn't make sense. And I don't even want to begin to picture the scene as this terrible man is ushered out of his cell, as his chains are removed, and he walks away free as our perfect Savior stands there in his place. Like, it honestly turns my stomach a little bit. I have a visceral reaction every time I read this story. And this is how I've always viewed Barabbas. This is how I've always looked at him until I began to realize who he represents. See, I've always looked at Barabbas as this terrible man that I scoff at and that I look at with anger. I can't believe this guy gets to walk away free as Jesus suffers. But the truth of the matter is much more sobering than that because the truth of the matter is I'm Barabbas. See, See, I'm the guilty one. I'm, I'm the proven sinner who sits there awaiting certain death. That's who I am in this story. And yet somehow, someway, I get the benefit of walking away freely as Jesus takes my place. I get the benefit of what we read in Romans 5 when it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's my verdict. That's my story. See, this isn't some random guy 2,000 years ago. This is what he's done for me. Now, see, maybe you're not getting it, but what we're celebrating this weekend is the greatest exchange that has ever happened in the history of mankind. We're talking about the Son of God in flesh, perfect and innocent and blameless, taking stripes on his back, taking thorns on his head, hanging on a cross and dying in your place. He did it for you. He didn't die on behalf of his sins. He didn't die on behalf of his mistakes and failures. He died on behalf of yours, your Barabbas. And you get to walk away freely as Jesus takes your cross and heads to Calvary. You take his innocence. He takes your guilty verdict to the cross. That's the great exchange. This is what he's done for you. But listen to me, that's not the end of the story. This, this isn't the final conclusion here. Now, most often, this is where we stop, right? We, we talk about how Jesus has died on the cross for us. We talk about how we are forgiven, and then we move on with the rest of our day. But listen, if that's where you stop, you're not getting the full picture. In fact, I would argue if that's where you stop, you might be missing the most important part of this story, especially as it relates to your future, especially as it relates to your future, because this is what you need to realize that maybe you've never thought of before. See, the beauty of this story that we just walked through is not just that Barabbas was forgiven. The beauty is that Barabbas was set free. Let me say that one more time. The beauty is not just that he was forgiven. It's that he was set free. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. What's the difference, right? That seems like the same thing. I don't understand the distinction. Well, follow me down this road for a second because this is so important for you to understand. So important. If you do some research on the ideas of forgiveness and freedom, especially as it relates to the distinction between the two of them, you will eventually stumble upon an idea called PICS, otherwise known as post-incarceration syndrome. Now, maybe this is something that you've seen depicted in movies. Maybe it's something you've seen in friends and family who have dealt with this, but it's a term that is applied to prisoners who are released from their sentence, but they are unable to successfully reenter the free world. In fact, it's something that can also be applied to soldiers who come back from war. It can be applied to missionaries after long stints overseas, but the core problem is the same. Listen to this. There's a disconnect between the reality of freedom and the experience of freedom. 
There's a disconnect between the reality that you've been released and the true experience that you are free. In fact, I was doing some research on this, and I stumbled upon an article called Prisonization Versus Incarceration. Now, again, initially, you might be wondering what the distinction is, but catch this. Incarceration is a literal physical term. It means that you have bars around you. It means the doors are locked. The boundaries are set. You are captive. But catch this. Prisonization is a theoretical mental term, meaning it's a state of mind that may be telling you about a reality that's not even true. And so see what happens so often with these individuals is they are set free from their incarceration, but they can't seem to break free from their prisonization. See, they're free, but, but they're not free. See, the, the ledger's been cleared, but they can't move forward with true life that is ahead of them. And see, this is why we make mistakes when we stop the story of Barabbas at the point of forgiveness. This is why we mess up when we do that. In fact, listen to this. This is why so many Christians out there claim forgiveness over their lives, but they don't have any freedom to speak of. There's no freedom, there's no joy, there's no new life that is ahead of them. And then what happens is people who newly give their lives to Christ expect the same. Like, sure, I can be forgiven, but it's not like it's going to change anything, right? I mean, I'm I'm still going to be miserable. I'm still going to be ashamed of everything that I've done. But you better begin to realize that the full work of Jesus Christ says differently. When you believe in the person and work of Christ, you are not just forgiven. You are set free. You you are free. But catch this. it's It's a matter of mentality. See, it's a battle of the mind because you are free. That's the reality of the situation. But, but, you know, sometimes your mind doesn't allow you to feel that. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes your mind doesn't allow you to really experience that freedom. It's no wonder why Paul says this in Romans 12 too, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Now catch what he goes on to say. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, so many of us, we are conformed to this world. That's where our mind's at. We're stuck in this place that leads us to bitterness and to shame and to defeat. But when we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, what we find is, no, 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 his will is good. His will is acceptable. His will is perfect. And it's time that I freely walk in that. It's time that I live in that freedom. Now, I think this whole concept of true freedom I think it's one of the the many powerful takeaways of the resurrection. This is why we're celebrating this weekend, right? The resurrection, that's what we're talking about. And I think this is one of the many reasons we need to constantly refresh ourselves on this reality. Because think about it, follow me here. Listen, if Jesus had just died on the cross, if he had just paid the price and then remained in that tomb, listen to me, we could still be forgiven. The blameless spotless lamb of God had been successfully offered. It is finished. That's what he said on the cross. But if that were the case, and if that's where the story ended, could we really be confident in true freedom? I mean, if that's where the story stopped, could we really be confident in abundant life that is ahead of us? But when he came out of that tomb, When he showed that death was conquered, that victory was won, he showed us that forgiveness is not his complete work, but that we can be set free. See, this entire weekend that we're celebrating, the Last Supper, the crucifixion, the resurrection, you need to understand this is not a somber story. 
This is, this is not a melancholy event. This is about freedom. It's about victory. It's about new life that is ahead of you. But you got to get out of that prisonized mindset and realize you've been set free. It's time that you see that. It's time that you show that. It's time that you live in that freedom. Now listen, I've heard the story of Barabbas many times over. Seen it depicted in lessons and even in movies. What I find so interesting about this, every time I've seen it depicted, after his inexplicable release, he's got this evil grin on his face, right? He slyly walks away as if to say, my evil plan worked. I can't believe I pulled this off. But do you know the more and more that I read scripture, the more and more that I understand what this moment represented, the more and more I'm convinced that wasn't his response at all. See, I'm, I'm convinced that despite his past, I'm convinced despite his terrible decisions, he was confounded by this outcome. I, I, I think it threw him completely for a loop. He knew who he was better than anybody who knew the things that he had done. And I have to think he had already coped with the fact he was going to die because of it. Think about the things that were running through his mind as he's sitting in that jail cell. And now suddenly he's walking away freely as an innocent man takes his place. That had to do something. I, I don't know whether he cried. I don't know if he ran away with excitement. I I don't know, but this much I'm sure of, I believe he truly understood the magnitude of what had happened. In fact, there's not a complete document of the rest of Barabbas' life. But did you know that there are actually some historical records that place him at the scene as Jesus is crucified on that sacred hill? Now, listen, I don't know whether that's true or not. I don't. But I can't imagine that. I can imagine after his release being so confused and just curiously following Jesus and watching as he suffers. Standing there watching as he's whipped mercilessly at the post, watching as the nails are driven into his hands and into his feet. And I can begin to see as the tears stroll down his face as he realizes that should be me. I should feel that pain. I should feel that heartache. That should be me. I can even imagine at one point him making eye contact with Jesus and, and Jesus mouthing to him, go, be free. Like, I didn't do this so you could stay around here. I didn't do this so you could wallow in self-pity and doubt. I did this so you could be free. Go, live your life. This is what we have to take away from this. Listen, through the work of Jesus Christ, forgiveness is available to you. The work is done. He took the punishment on his shoulders. But whether you're taking that step of forgiveness for the first time today, or whether you took that years ago, listen to me, what you better begin to realize is that you are free. You have been set free. I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way. I know sometimes your mind tries to take you back to those dark days. You are free, and whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Now, I have to think, even after all of this, Barabbas still had a hard time coping with this. 
I mean, can you imagine him walking down the street, the dirty looks that he still got? Can you imagine the judgment and the way that people look down on him? I have to think he even had a hard time coping with the fact that he was roaming freely as an innocent man took his place. Didn't change the fact that he was free. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. But I'll tell you this much. I hope he took full advantage of that new life he was given. I hope he turned things around. I hope he made an impact in this world. I hope that he didn't allow his failures and mistakes to hold him back, but rather remind him of the beautiful sacrifice that was made on his behalf. I hope that was his destiny. Now listen closely. I hope the same for you. Stop holding on to your past. Stop dwelling on your mistakes. Go, be free. Make the most of the new life that he's given you. Make an impact in this world. Be reminded of what he's done for you. This is why he made the great exchange so that you could be free. 